0: In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that these so familiar words would nonetheless guide our hearts and our minds as we meditate on Christ and all that we owe to him, as we meditate on this sacrament which points us to him in his death and in his victory, Lord, we ask tonight that you would speak to us through your word and grant us ears to hear and hearts to respond for the glory of Christ, even as we partake of the sacrament together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, topic, so to speak, uh, of communion I want to think about this month is uh, Thanksgiving. I... uh, for most of you here heard me in the announcement this morning, use the word Eucharist. And uh, I don't know all of your church backgrounds. I know for me, there was a point when if I heard the word Eucharist, I might have cringed a little. Uh, I would have assumed that the person speaking was um, not from a Reformed background. Because that's the kind of word we hear... uh, not bad, <laughs> not non Christians, you know, but but maybe uh, Episcopal or Lutheran brethren use that kind of word, and and we disagree with them on some things about communion, and so uh, we we perhaps shy away from such a word, Eucharist, and we use uh, more straightforward words like Holy Communion or the Lord's Supper, which, which is appropriate. That's right and proper. Uh, but, but this this word Eucharist actually doesn't come from any of those uh, those other branches of Christianity. It actually appears it appears in one of the earliest church documents after the days of the apostles, the Didache, which is a book that contains a lot that, uh, from a historical perspective, it informs us about the early church's liturgy and and worship. And uh, one of the things we find there is this word. Uh, Eucharist is used to refer to the sacrament. Now, don't be afraid of the word. That word Eucharist just comes from the, the Greek word that actually we find in the New Testament uh, multiple times coming out of Christ's or describing Christ's own actions at the Lord's Supper. It's the word Thanksgiving. So we, we don't need to start calling it the Eucharist. Uh, but, but realize that the early church shorthand for this sacrament was thanksgiving. And, and it, it's, it makes me wonder if in today's church, in good reformed churches, our churches, if I hadn't just told you that. And, and I had polled Covenant Church and Christ Church and said, um, you know, what part of the worship service do you think they meant when in the early church they referred to the Thanksgiving? What part of the worship service would we probably pinpoint? I, I, I fear that maybe none of us would think the Lord's Supper. We we might think of a number of other points, which would be appropriate to think of as giving thanks, right? Uh, we, out of thanksgiving, give our tithes and our offerings to the Lord. Uh, certain songs that we sing are praise songs. You could call them thanksgiving songs. Uh, Prayer hopefully has a lot of thanks in it. So, so the, the, the whole worship service ought to be full of thanks and adoration, but the early church could just say the thanksgiving and people thought bread and wine. That, that, that's a little convicting to me because we want to come to this table seriously. Paul tells us to, the Holy Spirit tells us to not partake unworthily, not to partake flippantly. And so, so we're reformed. We don't want to mess up on that. So we're very serious about this. And it's right to be serious. But an amazing thing about the gospel, it's the most serious news in the world. And it's good. It's the most solemn word that anyone could ever hear the gospel of jesus christ and it it should always lead the hearer to joy and when we come to the lord's table it's a very serious thing and giving thanks to the god who so loved us he gave his own son is both a serious thing and a thing that demands thanksgiving i i think we struggle we struggle a lot with this idea of giving thanks. Uh, Hughes Oliphant Old, in my opinion, one of the, maybe the greatest historian on worship uh, that the church has produced, makes this comment about the the word Eucharist. He says, "When, when the Lord's Supper is called Eucharist, it is because in it we give thanks to God for his loving kindness. Loving kindness. Remember, loving kindness is a big word in the Bible, chesed, which to understand several scholars, of, Old Testament scholars have all said to understand loving kindness, we have to cram together what all of our best translations uh, translated as, right? Steadfast love, merciful kindness, uh, goodness, uh, mercy that all of these crammed together, Dale Ralph Davis throws covenant in there as a, uh, in parenthesis, in brackets, that it's the covenant, steadfast, merciful, kind love of God for his people. And so with that thought in mind, when we talk about the Lord's Supper as thanksgiving or, or Eucharist, it is us giving thanks to God for the, the deepest richness of his compassionate heart for his people in covenant with him. It's an astonishing thing. And perhaps what can shock us is that uh, the two men who pushed the use of this idea Eucharist more than any other during the Reformation were John Calvin and John Knox. And especially Knox, if ever you wanted to pick the, the cold, stiff, serious man in the Reformation. I think most people would pick the the Scotchman Knox. And yet when he came to the Lord's table, Eucharist was his favorite thing to talk about, apparently. And John Calvin also made a big deal out of this being a Thanksgiving feast. Calvin is summarized like this by one author. Calvin tells us that one of the principal functions of this sacrament is that it brings us to the adoration and praise of God. The sacrament moves us to render thanksgiving to God for his infinite goodness. So what stands in our way from approaching this sacrament as thanksgiving? And hopefully... It hasn't stood in your way from having some Thanksgiving, at least, as you come to the table. Uh, But but, but what might? I, I think one thing that is very responsible for that in the modern church is the phrase memorial. And especially in evangelicalism, that the Lord's Supper is a mere memorial. A mere Memorial. I think that has been a a tragedy for us to think that way. I could preach a whole sermon about the the tragedy of that word mere memorial. But but also memorial, it, it shifts our minds. In our context, we think memorial service. We think someone's dead and this is their funeral. So of course you come solemnly. And uh, in evangelicalism, we, we lost how to grieve. Over the past 200 years, we, we lost what it is to lament and mourn and weep, something I hope to have a whole series on, Lord willing, in the next year or so. But, but we, we've lost sight of lament. We've lost sight of grief. We've lost sight of how to prepare ahead of time for that by thinking about death before death happens and thinking well and wisely and biblically about it. So it shouldn't surprise us then that we come to the funeral service and we're just depressed because that's all we have. We haven't prepared. We haven't thought biblically and we're just depressed. And so so you have the memorial service, the mere memorial where everyone's solemn and depressed. And, And then in recent years, seeing that that's a mistake... And that causes years of trauma to some people who haven't grieved properly. What, what have we in evangelicalism done? We've overcorrected. Now we don't have memorial services. We have celebrations of life where we almost deny to the grieving the right to grieve. It's an imbalanced thing. But, but I think, and I'm not going to bring the answer to any of that tonight, because I want to focus on the Lord's Supper, but I I don't think we can disconnect that thought that when we don't think rightly about death and grief, and maybe we're not thinking rightly about death and grief because we're not, as Christians, thinking sufficiently about what we're doing at this table. The two things go hand in hand. Um, This is not a mere memorial. It's not a, a funeral service. But we come thinking of it like a mere funeral service. Part of the problem there is this word memorial. And and the use of the word memorial in the church when reflecting on the Lord's Supper springs from Christ saying, do this in remembrance of me. But what is Christ saying there? Is he saying, I'm about to die and here are the plans I have for my funeral service. I want you to put some bread and wine out and maybe tell some stories about my good life. No, no of course that's not it. It's, it's not Christ saying, have a memorial service for me. What is this idea of memorial or remembrance that Christ is emphasizing? Well, to understand that, I think, think it's very important for us to realize the context when Christ says, remember me, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what they'd just been doing? They'd just been celebrating the Passover. And the institution of Passover is filled with that word remembrance. In fact, that concept of doing this in remembrance Is a covenantal concept. We don't think that way. That's why we need sermons like this. But the apostles would have. They'd literally just been doing it. What were they doing? They were celebrating the Passover. They were remembering. When the Passover lamb. Had its blood smeared on their doors. So that the angel of the Lord. Would pass over them. It was. Not remembering the death of the Lamb by itself in this, this void. It was remembering God's great act of redemption. Doing something in remembrance is about refreshing our memory about what God has done for us in covenant. It's how they were supposed to approach the Passover. It's It's how they were supposed to approach crossing the Jordan River. Remember? Remember? (laughs) When your children ask you, why are there stones in the middle of this raging river? They didn't have cranes to drop them there. This is a big deal. You are to tell them what? You're to tell them the great acts of God. You are to remember Call to mind so that you might adore God for his great works. And in that context of specifically the Passover, then Jesus turns from the remembrance of the one event and he now breaks bread and says, now remember this. The new covenant, he says, as he picks up the cup, the new covenant in my blood Remember me. Remember the great act of redemption. The greatest act of redemption. The one without which no other act of redemption has any real value. We are to do this in remembrance of him. That, that's not a mere memorial. That is a calling to mind his great acts of old. The act at the cross and the empty tomb To produce a response from us. Think of then 1 Corinthians 11 and how this plays into it. If we want to think about how remembrance is a covenant act. Notice what Paul says as a commentary on Christ telling us to remember. Remember. In chapter 11, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, having just repeated twice Christ's command to remember, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Our remembrance, says Paul, is a proclamation remembrance. Now, if we think about that, we have to ask, what are we proclaiming? What are we remembering? What are we proclaiming? If a, a non-Christian were to watch us celebrating the Lord's Supper, what about Christ's death would they hear in their mind's eye as they watched us? would they see a simulation of a depressed, hopeless funeral service? Would they, just as bad, would they see something flippant? Or just something we do? What gospel is proclaimed by how we partake? does this good news of Christ crucified, risen, and ascended into heaven, where he intercedes for us, where he is gone, for it is better for us that he ascended, that he might prepare a place for us in his Father's house, and from where he has sent forth his Spirit, is is that the good news we're remembering and proclaiming at the table? I realize this is a hard question to ask, and maybe some of you are thinking, well, what are you expecting us to, <laughs> to do differently? Uh, maybe nothing. Maybe you've been partaking with Thanksgiving in just the right way. Uh, I, I want to emphasize that, because um, one of the points I'm going to make in a minute, I thought, well, people are going to think I'm talking about them. <laughs> And so I I went to try to think in my mind. Well, can I think of anyone who looks gloomy and depressed during communion in our church who might think I'm pointing them out? And I actually couldn't because I'm not looking, I'm not thinking about your face when I'm taking the Lord's Supper. So don't take any of what I say here personally. Maybe you're taking it exactly right. With all that thanksgiving in your heart and expressed in your countenance, I, I don't know. But... Certainly, this idea of proclaiming together. We're not to proclaim part of the gospel, he's dead. We're to proclaim, he died, but he is risen. And he's risen, why? New Testament, for our justification? He's risen. And he's going to rise, raise us from the dead on the last day. He, he's risen and he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. And to enter us into glory with the great wedding feast. There, there are wonderful things in that news. He died. But the tomb's empty. He's not here anymore, says the angel. For he is risen. Is that the good news? Now, if a non-Christian's watching that, no matter how well you're proclaiming it, by your countenance, and by the way that we're taking it, they should be confused unless the Holy Spirit enlightens their minds in in the moment. Because we're celebrating a death, and that makes no sense to the world. We're celebrating life through a death. And without the Holy Spirit, the joy of that seems just strange. But they should be then confused by us. I think that's the... In your witnessing, in your evangelism, in your life as in general, the world ought to be confused by you. Until the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. And they see. Well, a lot more could be said, but... Um, when we come to the table as a Thanksgiving feast, I, I was thinking about three things. I'll start with kind of the last one I thought of here. And, and this is where I don't want anyone to think personally that I'm pointing at you. Just a suggestion. If you don't already do it, and some of you I've seen do it. When we take the Lord's Supper, maybe we should smile. Smile. Maybe we should look up at each other, our brothers and sisters, and enjoy the feast together. Maybe you already do. I know there are moments when pretty much all of you whom I know better uh, and have taken it with more often uh, have had a smile on your face. And I've made eye contact, if not every time. But uh, maybe some of us like me, maybe that's something we need to put a little more effort into thinking about the Lord's Supper that way. We tend to think about um, well, maybe my grief. I'm going to be at a funeral. I'm going to have my head down, right? Uh, This is my grief. It's personal. Well, my celebration of the Lord's Supper. It's me and Jesus. Remember where 1 Corinthians goes. Wait for one another and then eat. It's not about you and Jesus. It's about Jesus and us. And so Maybe we should reflect that. Thinking about this as a Thanksgiving feast, as Calvin liked to refer to as a Thanksgiving feast. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking about uh, the American um, attitude of of Thanksgiving. Here we, hopefully not present company, but Americans, we tend to have this thing called Thanksgiving, and maybe we say one or two things Around the table that we we like. But then we have a whole day afterwards to go from Thanksgiving to greed. And we don't even get to the next day before we're playing the, the victim card, right? With our relatives and friends. Oh, I deserve better than this. No one loves, no one's treating me. This is the American persona towards Thanksgiving, the question is, are we carrying that kind of attitude to the Lord's Supper? We, we need to come with joy and thankfulness. And one part of doing that at, at the Thanksgiving feast, I hope, on Thanksgiving Day with your family, extended family, and your friends, I hope when you go to the dinner table, you don't sit like this. With a scowl on your face. It's me and the turkey. Right. No, you're probably having conversations and laughing and talking, but but there's fellowship going on. We'll come to that concept of communion another week, but it, it intersects here with this being a moment of giving thanks. Let's give thanks together. Let's have our heads up and... Gaze into each other's eyes, perhaps, at various moments, and smile and celebrate. Yes, this is serious and solemn. And what Christ did might bring tears to your eyes. But perhaps there's no better glorious gospel display than smile and tears together during communion. And I have seen that from some of you recently, because I can remember it. So perhaps let's put smiles on our faces if you're not already doing that. Secondly, when we come to the Lord's table as to a Thanksgiving feast, realize that even just that heart attitude towards the sacrament can help guard us against ingratitude in the rest of life. Don't forget what He has done for you and that should transform your whole way of living. Again, we we don't want to be like the American on Thanksgiving Day who turns around and is ungrateful for 30 hours of mom cooking in the kitchen and and then goes off and and ignores all of that. Leaves the plates for mom to clean up or or whatever the thing might be. We we want to approach the Lord's table differently. We want to approach it With gratitude and as we come with thanksgiving in the first place, that'll result in going out from the table with gratitude. With an earnestness of of service towards God. Not viewing ourselves as victims, but as we actually sang earlier, the only one who could ever experience hell as a victim. We did do you catch that line? We sang it, glorious victim from above. The only one who will ever experience the wrath of God as a victim gave himself so that you could give thanks and enjoy the wedding feast for all eternity. Gratitude. And then finally, as we partake of this table with thanksgiving, we lift each other up. We lift each other up instead of ignoring each other we fulfill in the sacrament tonight i hope we fulfill hebrews 12:12 12, 12, therefore strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees the, the table is a wonderful place for us to do this to each other how better to challenge each other to view the cross correctly than to celebrate this sacrament enthusiastically one of the reasons I'm preaching this series when we celebrate the Lord's Supper in the evenings this year because I caught myself too many times last year not preparing myself for the Lord's Supper, coming to it uh, just without thought. And I know that administering it to you without preparing myself and without coming excitedly and joyfully must have affected the way that you Can I use the word celebrate at that point? Took it? We want to celebrate it. And we can encourage each other this way. As we come with joy and celebration and thanksgiving, we, in essence, are saying to one another, Are you weary? Take and eat. Are you spiritually malnourished? Well, reflect on the word that's been preached and then take and eat. We can drive each other and draw each other and lift each other up to sing His praises together. Come to the table tonight expecting and experiencing that the Lord is good. It is He who has made us and saved us and not we ourselves. Come to his feast with thanksgiving to celebrate with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy everlasting, his truth endures to all generations, and that truth shall be proclaimed here until he comes again. Let us proclaim it here together.